Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that prayer, Ed. I, I especially like the thoughts you had in there about growth, that we want to grow. And obviously our topic this morning, spiritual bodybuilding, is about growing. Dave and I compared notes a little bit last night that the lessons were, were really good yesterday, and we're feeling a little added pressure, and I shared that with Shane, that the, the lessons were so good, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, at least on my end, I hope I can live up to, to, uh, to that pressure. I will say one thing in getting started, um, you know, in regard to yes, yesterday's lessons were, were, again, so good. You're going to witness something this morning you've probably never seen before. Now, I set that big stage there, didn't I? We're going to have instructions on bodybuilding given by a fat man. Richard, I don't know what, wh why I came to mind when you thought of this lesson, but thank you, sir. <laughs> um, our key scriptural passage, 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, again, I don't know what Richard's thought process was, and I didn't ask him, but, you know, when, when he signed this lesson to me, I'm like, well, I'm not exactly a body trainer. Um, you can tell that my physical exercise plan needs some work. So my mind immediately thought of an old story I heard many years ago, and if you will humor me with just a minute here as I, I stray a little bit, but it probably lets you into my mind and my thought process on bodily exercise. But this old couple were killed in a car wreck. And as these stories often go, Peter met them at the pearly gates to take them to their new home. Their new home was located on a golf course, and playing golf was the husband's favorite pastime. The home was beautiful, and they began to wonder if they could afford the payments. And so the husband asked Peter, he says, how much are the payments? Peter said, nothing. Everything's free in heaven. Peter took them out on the back deck and he showed them that their, their home backed up to the ninth green. The man couldn't believe it. How much are the dues, he asked Peter. Peter replied, nothing. Everything's free in heaven. Peter then took them to the clubhouse to show them the food accommodations and they couldn't believe the size of the buffet line. And it had everything they weren't supposed to eat. How much does the buffet cost? This time the woman asking. Peter said, it's free. Everything is free in heaven. Plus the best part, he says, there's no calories in heaven. Peter replied, wow, at this man, the little guy, he started crying uncontrollably. And his wife was trying to comfort him. And asked him, well, what's wrong? He says, he replied, if it wasn't for all those bran muffins and oatmeal you've been feeding me, I could have been here 15 years ago. <laughs> Seriously, our lesson this morning is on spiritual bodybuilding. And my good friend and brother in Christ, Kirk Fletcher, has the lesson back home at our home congregation, Fayette, this morning. And he often uses people in the audience in his, in his lessons, so 
better stay awake is all I'm going to say, okay? <laughs> He's rubbed off on me a little bit. But the key scriptural passage we looked at, I want to share kind of some of my takeaways from that passage, and then we're going to get into five simple bullets that I hope that you'll be able to remember today. So keep in mind that when Timothy and the other New Testament teachers preached the Word of God to the various churches, the printed New Testament was not yet available. Therefore, they struggled with false teachers who taught godless myths, old wives' fables, endless meaningless genealogies, and even stories that were often made up. We learn this from the passage that I just read, and also 1 Timothy 1 and 4 and 2 Peter 2 and 3. Paul told Timothy to train ourselves to be godly. Now, I like Paul's writings, and I especially like it when he uses athletic metaphors. And he does that often. And today's metaphor is from the Greek word gymnasium. The word train comes from the Greek word gymnazo. And according to Strong's Bible Dictionary, it literally means to practice naked in the games or figuratively, which is how we're going to use it today, um, it means to train or exercise vigorously either the body or the mind. The word gymnazo is the root of our word gymnasium, and it appears four times in the New Testament, and three of those times is very similar to our key text, indicating to me that it takes hard work and sweat, if you will, to train in godliness. The Bible's our training manual, okay, right here. And so my job is to just try and take all this training manual, all this material, and give you just a few little takeaways in 30 minutes or less. So this passage does not teach us, despite my earlier puns, that we should avoid taking care of our bodies. It doesn't teach us that. No Christian should neglect his body. On the contrary, every Christian should, by wise living, sensible eating, and taking the right amount of rest, fresh air, and exercise, maintain a body that is fit and well. And some of us do better than others. The main point, however, of this passage is that our primary focus in life should not be spent on training our physical bodies, the outer man, for this short time that we'll be here on earth, that only profits for a little while. Instead, we should spend our time training our spiritual bodies for eternity. I believe we can accomplish our goal of spiritual bodybuilding, building a body that's equipped for eternity, by focusing on five simple little bullets. Okay? And, and, and this is not going to get real deep, folks, so hopefully you enjoy it and can remember my bullets. I'm going to primarily give you some antidotes and some things that will help you remember them. One, if you're going to have a spiritual body, you've got to have commitment. We're going to call that commitment to godly training. You do that through study and prayer. And if you have the commitment, you spend time in the word, you spend time in prayer, that's going to lead to personal growth. Sorry, i got to switch fingers here. And hopefully that will help you walk in the Spirit. Five simple points. Commitment. Study your Bible. Have an active prayer life. Commit to personal growth. And walk in the Spirit. 
Points two and three, studying your Bible and praying, I see as behavioral goals, something that we need to practice every day. Then if we're serious about committing ourselves to spiritual bodybuilding, then we have to have active living commitment to make it happen. Commitment being the umbrella over the goals, if you will. Then our last two bullets, growth and walking in the spirit. And if we don't have commitment to hold them all together, then our spiritual bodybuilding plan will go the way of a lot of our physical exercise plans. Remember those that we set on New Year's Day? and We've already broken by the end of January or the end of the first week in some cases. So we're, let's, look at those, let's look at those five simple bullets. Commitment to godly training. Paul said in Romans 12:1 to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, we've been studying through the Old Testament in chronological order in our Wednesday night studies at Fayette. And I'm always amazed at the detail, the work, the blood, the gore, and the cost that would have went into animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. And I often think, wow, we've got it easier today, don't we? But do we? Well, maybe if we think that way, maybe we don't understand the commitment that it takes to be a living sacrifice. Perhaps we don't understand or spend enough time in the gym of God's word, sweating to make ourselves a better living sacrifice. If we think we've got it easier today, maybe it's because we don't give as we've been prospered. If we think there's no persecution today, maybe it's because we don't only share God's word in sterile, safe environments and don't take it where we might be persecuted. If we're going to have commitment and commit to godly training, we have to turn every compartment of life over to it. Think about the amount of time that it would take to be a physical bodybuilder. The strict workouts would be endless and time-consuming, and the diet regimen would be restrictive. If we're going to be serious about spiritual bodybuilding, we need the same commitment. I read this quote in preparing this lesson. It's one I'd read several years ago, but I wanted to share it with you. I don't know who this man was, but his name was Edward Fudge. And he said, Christ now stands squarely between the Christian and the world. This means that the person who is in Christ must view everything through Christ-colored glasses. There can be no realm, no area, no compartment of life where Christ is not Lord. So that's the type of commitment that we're talking about. We need to turn every compartment of life over to godly training. Now, to do that, we've got to turn up the heat. I read a book, a business novel, a few years ago that was called 212 Degree Commitment. And I wanted to share the title analogy from this book. We look forward to this weekend every year, and we plan our entire schedules around it. Not only do we get to enjoy this meeting, the spiritual and physical food that it provides, and fellowship of believers and seeing people you haven't seen in a while, but Richard and usually Jim and I get to enjoy friendship together at the Lathrop Steam Engine Show. Paula and Sherry swap stories and do whatever women do when the men aren't around. 
But I wanted to share an analogy with you, and Richard's going to help me with this. We saw some steam engines over the weekend. Richard, why, especially for our younger people, why would 211 degree water be worthless to a steam engine operator? It's not producing steam. So one degree of effort, if you will, one degree of more heat can move a machine that, what would those things weigh, Richard? Several tons, wouldn't they? And not only move themselves, but move the implement they were pulling or turn the belt that turns an implement. One degree makes the difference. And we're going to use that analogy in our lesson this morning. Our bullet point number two is to study our Bibles. In Acts 17 and 11, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more ready, or more noble, excuse me, than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now noble normally refers to nobility of birth, but here it applies to character. They received the word with eagerness. The King James uses the phrase readiness of mind. The idea is that we should have a willing and an eager mind to learn about God and his word. They read their Bibles every day. Now they didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet that we have today, so Paul must have been doing some Old Testament preaching because after his lesson it says they searched to see if he was preaching the truth. What a great example for us today. After the speaker is finished, we open our Bibles to see if what he preached is true, and we spend some time every day in God's word to work on our spiritual body. Now we're going to turn up the heat just a little bit. Once we get that good habit of reading our Bibles every day, we need to develop a passion for Bible study in order to promote change in our life. In James 1, and 25, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive you. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Look intently. Now the King James, the New King James, and the ESV, and perhaps others, use the word looketh or look. <clears throat> but the NIV and the NSB use the word phrase looks intently. And that changes the degree just a little bit, doesn't it? That explains how intense we should look into God's word. Look intently. The Greek word is parakupto and means to bend beside or lean over so as to peer within, to look into or stoop down. Now, we don't have time to go there, but this word, I believe, is only used three times in the New Testament and it helped me understand the intensity of that when you look in this other passage, and again, it's in John. And remember the little 
foot race that Peter and John have going to the tomb of Jesus. And John outruns Peter. And he bends down and he looks into the tomb. And Peter runs right beside him. Almost get the picture that he almost brushes him aside and goes right in. But John is mesmerized. He's looking intently into that tomb. Now, can you, do you think that that's something he forgot and never thought about that again in his life? Or was that image burned into his mind forever? So can you imagine studying your Bibles with that type of passion? That's what the word means. Then we need to play what's wrong with this picture. Now, some of you who are my age or older probably remember the word puzzles that used to appear in family magazines like Grit or Capper's Weekly. Remember those old magazines? And you had a picture on the left and you had a picture on the right. And you were supposed to spot the six differences between those two pictures. Well, that's what we need to do when we look into God's mirror, isn't it? When we look into the mirror of God, we need to see what's different between what am I seeing and what's in my life. And then we make the change. We shouldn't be like the careless man that James described who forgets what he looks like when he looked in the mirror. But when we spot the differences in our life versus the mirror of God, that's when we need to turn up the heat, 212 degree commitment, and make the necessary changes. Now, Dane Hartman's not here today, so he's on my list here, Dave, but I was hoping he would be. A couple of weeks ago, he gave a lesson in Fayette, and I could have just plugged and played him, and I could have sat down, because his lesson was, am I growing? And think about that. Ask yourself the question, am I growing? And one of the verses he used that I really liked, and I added it in my lesson after he left, Psalm 119, 59, and 60 I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. That's what the psalmist said there. He made haste to make that change. Now, if we want to turn up the heat just a little bit more, after we've engaged ourselves in this Bible study on a daily basis and we're Um, We've developed a passion for study. The next point would be to teach it to others. 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The point is, teach others who will in turn teach others who will in turn teach others. This is how we propagate the church and we keep it alive and growing. Being able to teach others requires a little 212 degree commitment on our part. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, I think this is one that was mentioned yesterday, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The Hebrew Christians were not growing. Can you imagine if you had a baby that didn't grow? Well, you'd be worried sick about it, taking it to the doctor. 
Well, how more tragic is it if we're Christians and we don't grow? Can we spot that in ourselves? Well, we obviously avoid this by this godly training that we're talking about. Notice Paul, who I believe wrote Hebrews, uses that same word, trained again. Got to go to the gymnasium. And figuratively, this is the gymnasium. The gymnasium of God's word. Point number three is to have an active prayer life. This is my shortest bullet, not that I want to shortchange it any, but we've got to keep moving. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 is a verse that's so short. And what does that mean? Well, we can't pray 24-7, so we've got to figure out what it means to pray without ceasing. I think it means to pray often and regular like Daniel did in Daniel 6 and 10 where it says he prayed morning and noon and night. And I get the picture that it was intense praying by Daniel because it says that he got down on his knees. And he didn't just pray when the going got tough. The text says, as he had done previously, something that was regular for him. How can we apply that to us? Well, you know, obviously we can pray several times a day, but I know for me and my job, I've tried to take advantage of short prayer opportunities during the day. <clears throat> and I think if we, if we take time out and when it's stressful and we're having difficulties, we can, we can take that short prayer opportunity. What I'm not very good at is then when it resolves is going back to God and thanking him for it. Our fourth bullet is commit to personal growth. These, these first two we talked about, but studying your Bible and prayer, you know, hopefully we're doing that. Now we've got to turn up that heat a little bit. We've got to commit to growing. The first thing I believe that will help us grow is to assemble with the saints. This was read yesterday too, but it's such a great passage. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds let us not give up meeting together as some are in their habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I like the NIV's use of the word spur. Spur one another on to love and good works. I was telling Richard the story this weekend about my old cattle horse on the farm. His name was Demon. And Demon was a pretty good horse, but boy, he's a little bit lazy. And so I had to use spurs to make him move. Cut off that cow that was going where she shouldn't be going. And if you think about this analogy, it's a fit one for us too because we need to spur, incite to do good, to stir up, to stimulate, and we best do this when we're in person. Now, we can do this through emails and texts. Debbie Russell, uh, Jack Russell's wife, one of our elders, she's so great. She'll send me little emails. I'll send something for Jack and and, and she'll, she'll email me back and just a little positive pick-me-up, and I just love that about her. Next, we shouldn't give up assembling, as this passage tells us. Whether it's other events that could be moved or missed, discouragement, lack of motivation, Paul's exhortation is to not give up meeting together. So when we make an excuse for not assembling, I'm tired, I just don't feel like it, we don't just let ourselves down deny ourselves the opportunity of that personal growth, but we let our brethren down. 
It can be discouraging when there's not very many saints assembling on Sunday afternoon or Wednesday nights. So we need to add a degree and commit to one another in assembly. And then the phrase says to encourage one another, this passage. The King James uses the word exhort, and other times it's translated beseech, comfort, desire, pray, and entreat. We do this best when we're together, and we do this through our teaching, our prayers, and our one-on-one words of encouragement. Commit to growing in the Lord by being involved. Turn up that heat just another degree. In 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We need to seek opportunity within our congregations, whether it's in the public service or more private one-on-one opportunities. Seek opportunities to help one another. I mentioned Jack a while ago. He's often encouraged us to step out of our comfort zone. When we do that, it helps us to grow. Sam was with us a few weeks ago. I guess it was back in April. And uh, Jack made the comment, to him and it was nice nice words that he said and he said Sam I sure wish your dad could see what you've become today well he did Sam I'll never forget this Sam and I thought of this when I was preparing this lesson your dad and I were talking one day and I I don't know if it was your first lesson you'll have to tell me afterwards but it was one of your very first lessons and you were talking about something very similar to this and he said and you said in your lesson that when you're training with weights The only way you get stronger is by adding another weight to the bar. And your dad was so proud of you for that lesson, and he was telling me about it. So that's what we're talking about is growing, and we have to do that through turning up the heat, adding another weight to the bar, pushing ourselves a little bit. Seek to be that teacher. And then let the word of God dwell in you richly. I mentioned to you the book that uh, I'd read called 212 Degree Commitment, and I want to share another quick story with you in this book. A man named Earl Nightingale said that if you spend an extra hour each day of study in your chosen field, you will be a national expert in that field in five years or less. One hour a day, five five years, you'll be the expert. And you say, well, that can't happen. Let me tell you a story. Most of you probably never heard of Jeff Skunk Baxter. Okay? He is a classic rock guitarist and probably one of the best ever at his craft. He played for Steely Dan, the Doobie Brothers, and was a session guitarist for countless other acts. But he fell into his second career by accident. In the mid-1980s, Baxter's interest in music recording technology led him to wonder about hardware and software that was originally developed for military use, specifically data compression algorithms and large capacity storage devices. Whoa, that's technical stuff. His next door neighbor was a retired engineer who had worked on the Sidewinder missile program. Skunk Baxter became a self-taught missile defense expert. 
by studying. What if we became self-taught Bible experts? Spend an extra hour a day for five years, and you'll be that. Another story, we're blessed to have Dave Hartman's sister, Bev, as a member of our church in Fayette. She's a great encouragement to Paul and I, Dave, because she tells us to never give up, never give up. That for years she ran away from God, and she's back. And she said I could tell this story. Not only is she back, and not only did she turn her life around, but she was witness to and witnessed the saving power of Jesus Christ in the life of her late husband, Dale Young. Bev told me that Dale had been a Christian nine years when he passed away. He had completely read through the Bible eight times in those nine years. Not only did he read through the Bible, Dale allowed the Bible to go through him. To say Dale was a little rough around the edges is an understatement. But oh, did the Lord work on Dale. What makes the difference is not how many times you've been through the Bible, but how many times and how thoroughly the Bible's been through you. That was a quote from an evangelist from the 1800s named Gypsy Smith. Our last bullet point, and we've got to move fast, I apologize, is walking in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit through confession of our sins. Sin must be confessed in order to restore fellowship and to continue to receive God's blessings. 1 John 1, 6 through 10. Confession means that we agree with God about our sin. We acknowledge we've done wrong and we should confess the moment we realize we've sinned. Confession involves sorrow for the sin and a willingness to turn from it. It doesn't mean we'll never commit the same sin again, but we add another degree to our effort and to seek to learn from our mistakes and try not to make them again. A great reading to learn more about confession is Psalm 51, written by David when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba. Next is yielding to the Spirit's guidance. What does this require of me? Well, we need to give ourselves over to God as a yielded instrument, Romans 6 and 13. Separating ourselves from the world, Romans 12 and 2. And lastly, we need to be filled with the Spirit. There's a simple little verse in Ephesians 5.18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, to be filled with the Spirit. Much like refilling the gas tank in our car when it gets low, I believe there's times in life when we need to get more filling from the Spirit. Have you ever felt that you you feel kind of low? That you're just not very excited, you're not very passionate about your service to God? I don't think the Spirit leaves us if we're seeking to do His will. Rather, I think it's a spiritual low point, and we need to get refilled. We do that by going back to the points we've already discussed. Recommitting ourselves to godly training, studying our Bible, allowing God's Word to change me, teaching others, having an active prayer life, committing to personal growth by assembling with the saints, and committing to growing in the Lord and walking in the Spirit. That's how we get refilled. Thank you for your interest in my lesson. This is such a big training manual, and it's hard to just narrow it down and give you a few few bullet points. 
But our main points were commit to godly training. We do that through presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, turning every compartment of our life over to God for spiritual bodybuilding, turning up the heat, adding that other degree to our effort. Number two, by studying our Bible, reading our Bible daily, and then we turn up the heat when we're able to develop a passion for Bible study, and then we turn it up just a little bit more when we're able to teach it to others. Having an active prayer life by praying without ceasing, and just like loving our children without ceasing, do any of you not love your children without ceasing? That's how we pray without ceasing. We can have that prayerful attitude every day. Committing to personal growth by assembling with the saints. Then we turn up the heat a little bit by committing to growing in the Lord, by getting involved. And then we let the word of God drill on us richly by becoming that expert on God and living God's word, like Skunk Baxter and his missile defense. And then lastly, we walk in the spirit. Confession. We turn up the heat by yielding and then turn it up some more by seeking to be filled by the Spirit. Thank you for your interest.